0: Everything comes down to love Then just what am I afraid of When I call out your name Something inside awakes in my soul How quickly I forget I am I hope now that everything I've done fails somehow. When the world has broken me down, will that set me free? When my life is like a storm. Good morning, Transit Church. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning. Thanks for you being here this morning. If I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is, uh, well, I'm Pastor Nick. I'm one of the associate pastors here at the Transit. As that uh, bumper video showed, we're going to be uh, continuing our sermon series going through First Peter. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in First Peter 2. 9 through 12 today. If you were here last week, this sermon is kind of like a two-part sermon series where, if you didn't listen to last week's message, I I highly encourage you to listen to that because it's kind of foundational for what we're going to talk about today. But what we saw last week is in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8, we saw that the church now is God's spiritual house, that we, the church, both individually and collectively, thanks to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, are the temple of God, the place where His presence Dwells that in First Peter, uh, you know, two verses four through eight is what we looked at last week. Is that the living stones you and I, and dwell by the Holy Spirit, are laid upon the precious cornerstone, and we're being built up into brick by brick God's spiritual house, the place where His presence dwells. And what we looked at last week was crucially important. I hope you're able to see that from Genesis to Revelation, God's heart is to dwell in the midst of His people. That where His people are is where our God wants to be. And so we saw the Father's heart uh, last week, and we saw the overarching theme of Scripture is God's relentless pursuit of dwelling in the midst of His people. And then we also talked about, lastly, about how this reality of God's presence with us is not abstract or theoretical, but this is reality, that God is present here with His church, because we house His presence because we are the temple of God. This is not theory, this is reality. And And we can thank God that He is with us, right? If God is with us with us, with us, who can be against us. It changes everything. so then it begs the question, this is the transition to from last week to my sermon this week, is if God has shown up to dwell in our midst, then how should that change how we are to live, right? How should that change how we are to live? And if you would imagine with me for a moment, you're hanging out at your house and you get a knock on your door. And you go to the door, you probably think it's Amazon, right? You ordered something two days ago, and it's probably the delivery guy dropping something off, right? Okay. Now, imagine with me, you open the door, and it's someone of fame and renown, right? Who would that be for you? Probably different than who would be for me. Don't shout it out uh, if, unless you want to. But anyways, for me, you probably, if you've heard me preach you know these past couple of years of the transit, for me, that would be the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Alexander Ovechkin. Can I get an amen? Come on. Where are my hockey players at? Come on, RJ. Give me a. Hey Amen. For RJ, it'd probably be Yevgeny Kuznetsov. But anyways, debatable. But if the greatest hockey player of all time knocked on my door with bags packed and a thick Russian accent said, hey, Nick, I want to dwell in your house. I want to hang out with you indefinitely. Can I stay with you for the time being? My jaw would be on the floor. And, and then all of a sudden, I would be like, guess who this house is no longer about, right? It's no longer about what I want. I'd be like, hey, uh, Ovi, yeah, yeah, come on in. Uh, Jen, sorry, we're moving out of the master bedroom, right? We'll blow up air mattresses. We'll be in the living room. You get the master bedroom. Uh, Ovi, what do you like the temperature at? You're Russian, so probably like 40 degrees. We'll keep it, we'll keep it cold. Uh, what do you like to eat? Drink. What music do you like, like to listen to? What do you like to watch? Like so on and so forth. The, 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 the purpose and function of those in that house changes when that person shows up, right? We exist, we exist to honor and serve the Lord. And Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, talking to the church at Laodicea, Revelation 3.20, he's saying, behold, I stand at the door, and I'm knocking. And if anyone opens the door, I'll come in, and I will fellowship with you. And he's talking to believers. who had. And then when we learn about the church at Laodicea, that's where we get the famous passage of, you're you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, and I spit you out of my mouth. And he's saying the reason why is is they had no need for Jesus. It was like Jesus was at their door, and they, they relegated him, not necessarily off the premises, but to the front door saying, hey, we have comfort we have wealth, we have everything we need without you. And so it's like Jesus knocking on the door. They open the door and they go, oh, oh, it's Jesus. What do you want? Oh, you want to come? Okay, well, I mean, if you want to stay with us, I mean, I could blow up some air mattresses. You could stay in the basement. wait, 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 wait. before you come in, here's the rules of the house, Jesus. You have to enter on our terms. You have to enter on my terms. Here's what I like to eat and drink. Here's what we like to watch and listen to. Here's what we like to do. And you can come in if you come in on our terms, right? And subconsciously, I think that's often, and I'm preaching from my own heart here. Subconsciously, I feel like that's the posture that we have is one, tragically, what we see is that we we have a tendency to lose our awe of who's with us, our awe of Jesus, his beauty, his wonder, the glory of our Redeemer. And then two, it changes our posture where we think that, that God has called us And he exists to serve us and to make our names great when the exact opposite is true. And so in our text today, what we see is that when God shows up to take residence with his people and dwell in our midst, everything now changes because of who just entered, right? Of who he's made us to be and who is with us. Everything changes. And it would be the height of insanity to make all of this about us. We've received, and because of Jesus Christ, a completely new identity, a completely new mission, and what we learn in our text, we're going to be, there's a lot here in our text, but what we're going to be focusing in on is that we now are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, thanks to the redemptive work of Jesus, and as God's holy priesthood, our lives are be completely reoriented to live for the fame, the glory, and honor of our precious Redeemer. We exist to minister to Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to serve Him, to praise Him, and it's not the other way around right? It's not the other way around where we think God is the genie in the sky who exists to serve us. We know, we saw last week through God's word, we know that God loves us, He, he we're going to see that we're his treasured possession. He doesn't just call us servants, but we're called royal servants. He's, we're adopted sons and daughters. We're now royalty. We're, we're priestly princes and priestly uh, princesses, right? In God's kingdom. So he loves us. We're his kids. And yet we're also called in our relationship to him to, 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 from the creator to the created distinction, to relate to God via worship, via worship from the attitude of a royal priesthood. And we're going to be unpacking what that means For the rest of the sermon. So verses will be on the screen. We're going to read 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 out loud together. So help me out reading this. I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, just who you are and what you've done for us, God. You are so good to us, Lord Jesus. We rest, we rest in your redemption. We rest in the sufficiency of your blood, Jesus, spilled out for us, the price of our ransom. We rest in that today. We glory in that. We glory in your heart towards us, your sacrifice towards us. This gathering today is about you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about a good sermon. It's not about good worship. It's about rendering a good praise. It's about rendering worship to you, Jesus. You're the most important person in this room today. And so would you take all the glory? Would you take all the glory today, Lord Jesus? So come, Holy Spirit. These next couple minutes, would you move powerfully through your word? Would you reveal to us the depths of your love, the depths of your heart posture towards us? And with that, Lord, would that, well up in your body from sincere, purified hearts of Jesus who love him. With that, with that well up in our bodies just praise that overflows out of our mouths to you. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you. And Jesus, I pray that you would increase. You would increase up here and I would decrease and be forgotten. And I just pray that we would leave an awestruck wonder, an awestruck wonder of who our God is. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, what we immediately see, again, in First Peter uh, 2, 9 through 10, is that pattern, right, we've been looking at, and you're probably tired of me saying this and Jeff saying this, is that we see the pattern of the both the indicative and the imperative of the Christian life. Peter says here, he talks about the indicative. This is who God is, what he's done for you. And now this is your new identity as the people of God. And then he shifts later on in the text. And then he says, now this is your role, your function. This is the imperative, how you are to live your life. And Peter says, he declares over the new covenant age, the new covenant church, new covenant people of God. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And that, 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 all that declaration, all those identity markers is impossible for us to understand that, until we understand that Peter is citing a passage from the Old Testament, Exodus 19. And the context of Exodus 19 is this, is that the Lord miraculously has delivered uh, the Israelites out of their bondage and slavery through signs and wonders. He's delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and now he's led them to Mount Sinai. He's about to give them the law, the Ten Commandments, the covenant, and then the the blueprint for the tabernacle. And before all that, this is what God speaks through his servant Moses to his people Israel. Exodus 19, three through six. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And watch this, watch this. And how I bore you on eagle's wings. And I brought you where? I didn't just bring you out of darkness. I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord is telling Moses, tell my people that this is now who they are because of who I am and what I've done. for them, Tell them this is who they are because of my grace towards them and my mercy towards them. I've given them a new name. I've given them a new status. I've given them a new purpose. And we see here, the, again, we see, we don't want to miss this, the language of love that God has for his people. Look at the language of love, right? In that text, I bore you on eagle's wings to bring you to where? Where does God want to bring us? To himself. Why? Because, because God's people are his treasured possession. And what we learned here, what we talked about last week, is that Yahweh redeemed Israel for relationship. He longed to dwell in their midst. Exodus 40, Exodus ends with God, God's presence filling the tabernacle, and then Exodus ends, right? Mission accomplished. That's what everything in Exodus was leading up to, God dwelling in the midst of his people. And we see what we saw last week, too, is that Israel had to be a holy nation because if a holy God was going to dwell in their midst, they also had to be a holy nation because holy, cause, cause sin is what separates us from the absolute moral purity, the, the thrice holy Trinitarian God sin sin is the, is the exact opposite of what he is as God who is holy, so therefore sin and holiness can't dwell in, in together in proximity right and so, so so we have to be a holy nation and thanks to Jesus what we saw last week is, is through his redemptive work alone, him tearing the veil that sinners are made holy, and a holy God invades holy spaces, your heart, when the redemptive work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is applied to your heart, guess who you get? You get God, his indwelling presence through the Holy Spirit, because God longs to dwell in the midst of his people. And once that holy God takes up residence with his people, now his people have access to the presence of God. And now the way they relate to God is there to be a kingdom of priests, because guess who just showed up to dwell with them? God. And now they exist to to love him. To worship him, to bring glory to his name, to not make it all about themselves. And Peter is saying, with all these identi- identity markers, he's saying to the churches scattered throughout Asia Minor, uh, Asia Minor, who are suffering and facing persecution. He's again, he's just speaking over them the truth of God's word, the truth of, of their reality now, of of, of who uh, their God is and what He's done for them. And this is what Wayne Grudem says about this text. He says, "The dwelling place of God is no longer the Jerusalem temple." for Christians are the new temple of God. The priesthood able to offer acceptable sacrifices to God is no longer descended from Aaron, for Christians are now the true royal priesthood with access before God's throne. God's chosen people are no longer said to be those physically descended from Abraham, for Christians are now the true chosen race the nation blessed by God is no longer the nation of Israel, for Christians are now God's true holy nation. The people of Israel are no longer said to be the people of God, for Christians, both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, are now God's people and those who have received Mercy. And this is what Peter is telling the church. He's saying, all of this is now who you are. You are holy. You're God's holy people, his chosen race, his royal priesthood. This is your core identity, a people for God's own possession. But then we learn that there's a so that, right? As we continue to read in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, we learn that there's a so that to our redemption. A so that to our redemption. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you, but you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Why would God do that? Here's the so that. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what we see there is the purpose of our redemption is, yes, it's relationship, but it's not just relationship. It's a relationship of worship. We're from the redeemed to their redeemer, from the created to their creator. We relate to God now via worship. Everything in this world is about your glory. Now I exist for your glory. And thank you that you've saved me. Thank you for my redemption. I live now for you. We're redeemed to live for the glory and the name of our Redeemer, to proclaim his excellencies, uh, the one who's redeemed us and taken up residence with us. And so, simple truth, I'll say it again because it bears repeating, is God doesn't exist to serve us and make much of our name that all of our dreams come true. No, there's nothing better than following Jesus. Nothing better in the world. But he doesn't He doesn't knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here to make all of your dreams come true. We know in Mark 10 that Jesus says, yes, the Son of Man didn't come to uh, be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And now we get to respond because of Christ who first loved us, Christ who first served us. We get to respond with love and service back. That's our worship. Is our God is a God who first loved us. Our God is a God who first died for us. Our God is a God who who, who gave himself as a sacrifice for us. So now we return. We return with that same service, that same devotion, that same... Love, that's what it means to worship him. And it's no longer about us, right? Right, if he's in our midst, how foolish of us to make that, make this about us, right? This is a performance to entertain people rather than a worship gathering of God's holy priesthood coming to render up the worship that's due, the name of our redeemer. Uh, Romans 14, seven through eight. The apostle Paul just has, ha- had this figured out, right? And this is just so beautiful. I love what he says in Romans 14, seven through eight. For none of us lives to himself, And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, if I am breathing air, I live to the Lord. And if I die, I'm going to die to the Lord. I love this. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. We are God's treasured possession his holy people. We are the Lord's. He actually has bought us with the price, the price of his son, so we are not our own. Thanks be to God, because we were once under the tyranny of sin, death, and the devil, and now because of what Christ has done, we have a new master and a new Lord who is gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Of course we'd want to serve him, and of course we'd want to sing his praises. I love Romans 14, 7 through 8. If you're uh, this is not in my notes, but if you're like thinking like through trendy tattoos you can get in Greek on your bicep, that's a great one right there, right? Um, sorry, being in seminary, there's uh, a bunch of dudes who are all tatted up with like Bible verses in Greek. And anyways, so we, we may fun found that during their, our Greek exams that they couldn't look at their biceps to get any help. All right, sorry. That was completely off my notes, my forgiveness for those watching. All right, so what we see in Romans 14, 7 through 8 is this, is this is priestly language that, that Paul's saying here. All I am is the Lord's. I exist for him and nothing else. And what we see in our text today is that we are a holy, royal priesthood. We've been adopted into a royal family, and now we're a royal priesthood, the people who, are, who, who live to glorify God and make much of his name. And the primary point of a priest is simply someone who is fully set apart for God. Full consecration, full devotion, full submission to God. In the Old Testament office, briefly speaking, a priest was one fully devoted to God who would serve him and serve God's people in the tabernacle and in the temple. They alone had access to the presence of God and would offer up priestly function. They would offer up sacrifices and offerings to God on behalf of the people. And we learn that with the temple sacrifices and the priestly office, that was all foreshadowing, right? The work of Jesus Christ, the truer and better high priest who is coming to give us us, the church, full access to the presence of God. And this is what Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says about Jesus being our truer and better high priest. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, verse 19 should stun us. Verse 19 should blow us away, the privilege we have as the people of God. The God of the universe, the creator, God of might and wonder and holiness and goodness and kindness we have access to is what this is saying. We're the most privileged people on the planet because of what Jesus has done. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what do we get to do? Let us draw near. The call of God is invitation to worship, invitation to draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So what we, what we get, because of thanks to Jesus and his redemptive work, is we get a right standing with and therefore access to the God of the universe. And it's not through anything we do, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us. Because of everything that Jesus has done for us. The truer and better high priest, through his once and for all sacrifice of our sins, made obsolete the temple sacrifices and the official priestly office. And yet, and yet, and yet, what we learn in our text is this, is Jesus' once and for all sacrifice for our sins, and, and, and nobody's head exploded. Give me time to explain this. Does not negate the fact that we as a kingdom of priests are still called to offer spiritual sacrifices of worship to God? Okay? Not meritorious sacrifices, meaning we don't contribu- contribute an iota or a dot to our salvation. That would nullify the cross. It would cheapen the work of Jesus. If we think, hey, Jesus, you actually need some help, so I need to muster up uh, enough holiness so that I can enter the Holy of Holies. We see, it's all the work of Jesus that gets us access to God, okay? But yet we see a mega theme in the New Testament that now that we are saved and redeemed and have access to God, we are called to offer up spiritual sacrifices of worship to God, to live to please him, to live to worship him and glorify him. Okay? A couple verses here. First Peter 2.5. We talked about this last week, and I promised you I'd talk about it this week. So, boom, there it is. First Peter 2.5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Why are we building, being built up as a spiritual house? To, to be a holy priesthood. What do holy priesthoods do? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, you and I, living stones, built up into a spiritual house, the place where God dwells in the midst of his people to be a holy priesthood. And what do priests do? Offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're gonna talk more about that in a little bit. Romans 12, 1. I have Romans 12. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of you have read Romans, you know that. All the beginning of Romans leading up to Romans 12:1 is all theology, is all the beautiful glory and grace and mercy of God. It's all like it's all the indicative of the Christian life. This is who God is, and this is what He's done for you in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 12:1, what's the very first thing? where Paul lands the plane to the imperative of the Christian life. What do you say? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because you are in Christ, because now you are a holy priesthood and a royal uh, priesthood, because of what Jesus has done for you, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is why I absolutely love that song we sang before coming up here because that is us. That is the cry of God's people saying, "We will follow you wherever you want to go." We This is Romans 12:1. That's a Romans 12:1 cry out of the people of God saying, "We will be a living sacrifice." This is us crawling on the altar and saying, "Our life is yours." Because where you are is where we want to be. So wherever you're calling us to go is where we're going to go. It's a great song. I love it. It's the people of God saying, this is our spiritual act of worship. Anything in me that is not of you, take it out. Anything in me that's holding me back from that being true of my life, rid me of that because I want to be fully devoted to you because we're a kingdom of priests. Romans 12, 1. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Watch this. Through Jesus, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, now let us continually, without ceasing, offer up a sacrifice. It's priestly language. Of what? Of praise to God. And then he explains it. That is, in case you're wondering what praise means, the fruit of your lips being opened up and acknowledging his name as Redeemer and Lord and Savior. And then do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Why? For such sacrifices. Again, priestly language. Such sacrifices are what? They're pleasing to God. And so, church, here's a beautiful, beautiful truth, simple truth, is that God uh, is this, is that God delights in the sacrifices and worship of his redeemed people. What I learned in, in you know, I gotta name drop this because I don't know if you guys will believe me if I say this, so I have to name drop someone who's, you know, much smarter than I am, but um, One of the most respected theologians and scholars at RTS DC where I went to seminary, Dr. Howard Griffith taught me this and it changed my life. That's why I want to share it with you today is this reality is that we can please God. So we learn verse after verse, sacrifice is acceptable, pleasing to God, sacrifice of praise, pleasing to God. In Christ Jesus, your good works, your good works rendered up from a pure heart to Jesus are no longer filthy rags coming straight from Dr. Howard Griffith's mouth. It's no longer filthy rags that we can please God. We can bring a smile to his face. When his kids, ah, oh, when his kids like lay down their selfish interests and they go and love and serve their neighbor to glorify and bring uh, glory to the name of Jesus or when they open up their mouths and they're just thanking God for his richness and of his grace that pleases God, it brings a smile to his face. I can't, I can't tell you for how long in my Christian life I was like, anything good I do, is is filthy rags before the Lord. So why even try? Because I'm living in constant displeasure of God. When in fact, what we see here is we can, as the redeemed of God, who have a relationship with God, we can offer up worship and our lives to Him, and it pleases Him. It pleases Him. It's in God's Word. Hebrews 13, it's in His Word. And I didn't come up with that. The Holy Spirit did in Hebrews 13, and then Dr. Howard Griffith told me about that. It changed my life. It's beautiful that there are things we can say and things we can do that bring a smile to our Father's face. Us proclaiming with our words and our works, Lord, you've saved me, you've rescued me, you've bought me with the blood of your Son. Now all that I am is yours and all that I have is yours. Here's everything offered to you, it's all yours. And I think God smiles when that happens and he's pleased with it because it's finally us coming into full alignment of who we actually are and who he's redeemed us to be, right? I, I, I am yours. I exist for your glory, and now I'm going to fulfill what you've called me to do. And there's this tragic tendency in the church today, and again, I see it in my own heart, subconsciously just being in our consumeristic culture, is there's a tragic tendency in the church today where we think, we have the tendency to think that we're passive consumers rather than active worshipers. Passive consumers who just consume religious content rather than active worshipers. With the love for God, coming to church, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm here to, with a mouthful of praise to ascribe the glory that's due your name. Who can I love today? Who can I serve? Who can I bring? How can I bring glory to those here today? Rather than just sitting back and receiving, we're here to worship God. And I think the reason that tendency has arisen, there's, well, there's a lot of reasons why we have that tendency to think uh, uh, more like passive consumers rather than active worshipers of the Lord, is the reason that has arisen, I think, is because there's this thinking in the church that because of what Jesus has done for us, We don't have to do anything in response. That nothing's required of me. There's no so that to my redemption. I don't have to ever give. I just get to receive and receive and receive and receive and receive. And God's mercies are new every morning, right? But but we're called to render back up what God gives to us in worship to him. Our bodies as a living sacrifice, our time, our talents and treasures as a living sacrifice because I think we've forgotten the fact that what this text says is that we are a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, those who exist to love and serve and worship God. And so what that means is that when we come here on on Sunday morning, this isn't church, this is not an event, this is not a performance, this is a worship gathering of God's chosen people, of God's royal priesthood coming to render him the glory that's due, his name. He is the most important person in the room today. That's why Jeff and I are very careful with our language. We don't say, hey, you're coming to church or welcome to church. We say this is a worship gathering. The living stones coming together to give glory and ascribe praise to the cornerstone who has saved them, who has rescued us from darkness. Now listen, with that said, yes, I don't want anyone hearing me say that this doesn't still apply to the church, is that yes, the great exchange of the gospel is always at play for the Christian, meaning this is that we, Christ Jesus invites us to come with our sin. As Christians, Christ Jesus invites us to come with our burdens, with our depression, with our anxiety, with our our baggage, and come to him just as he are. He says, come to me, everybody who is heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. So yes, we're called to come to Jesus and give him that, and in exchange, we give him our sin, and we get his grace and his peace and his mercy and his love. That's the beautiful thing about knowing Jesus is his grace and his mercy and his love. And And also what we learn is that we're not called to just give Jesus our sin. We're also called to give him worship. And the good and our spiritual sacrifice of praise and full surrender to Him, saying, Everything I have is yours. What do you want? Well, how can I offer up? How can I offer up things to you and worship in gratitude from a pure heart to you? That's not legalism. That's not legalism. It's called it can be, absolutely can be, but it's called worship. It's called worship. And we're called here as a kingdom of priests to worship God. And so what are those spiritual sacrifices? It's multifaceted. This week, because Peter talks about proclaiming the excellencies of him, we're going to be talking about worshiping God with our words, and next week we're going to be talking about God, talking about how we worship God with our works, okay? So next week we're going to talk about works. This Today we're going to talk about our words, but those spiritual sacrifices are essentially, you know, that Romans 12, 1 picture that my entire life me breathing, living, dying, everything I do is to be for the glory of God, living in full submission and surrender to God. And that gets manifested, that full surrender gets manifested in what I say and what we do, what we say and what we do. And so let's talk about a sacrifice of praise, sacrifice of praise. First Peter 2.9 says that we're redeemed to proclaim, proclaim the excellencies of our Redeemer. Her, Hebrews 13.15 says, through Jesus then, right? What do we learn in Hebrews 13, 15? Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that this is part of our priestly duty, and not just our priestly duty, our priestly delight. Our priestly delight, what praise is, a simple definition would be an eternal, audible thank you to God, right? A simple, like what is praise? I just believe it's audible adoration of God. Audible adoration of God, praising him for who he is, and and what he's done, and and that's why on Sunday our Sunday morning gathering that's why we sing so many songs right it's because it's because the simple answer is because that's what we're redeemed to do right I heard it said I forget from who but I heard it said that uh, the praise of God's people is his return on his investment in them it's his ROI on redeeming them I love that and so that's why this is a worship gathering and so when we come here uh, church I just want to encourage us may we not come to just receive, right? There, there's some of us who come a heavy laden and burden. Yes, come with that posture. But also, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to come being ready to actively worship our God and sing his praises and not just coming to you to receive, right? It's both. I believe it's both. But primarily, the most important person in the room today is our Savior, our Redeemer. And we've been called to call upon him in praise. And so speaking of praise, speaking of praise, I know that um, for a lot of us here, a common kind of rebuttal I hear when it comes to a pastor encouraging people to sing on a Sunday morning is this, well, Nick, all of life is to be worshiped to God. All of life, not just your words, is to be worshiped to God. So singing is not that important. And frankly, I'm not really that emotional. I'm kind of more analytical or intellectual, and some of these songs are not my cup of tea, so therefore, I'm not going to sing. And so premise number one, obviously we fully agree with, all of life, everything we do is to be uh, an act of worship to God. We're supposed to do it for the glory of our Redeemer. And a- alongside of that, Scripture also makes crystal clear that a massive chunk of us living our lives of worship is opening up our mouths and proclaiming the excellencies of God. A massive, I, I-, I could sit with you, I could do, we could do a whole sermon series on praise from start to finish. I don't know if you've even read Revelation, if you know what we're going to be doing, but we're going to be opening up our mouths worshiping Jesus, saying, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, okay? This is a huge part of scripture, a huge part of scripture, and nowhere in scripture, watch this, do any of us get get a get out of praise free card, okay? Like nowhere in scripture is like, hey, here's a get out of praise free card, here's a medical exemption because you know like your personality or or you just don't like the songs well do we love our savior like that that's that's what's been a fundamental shift in my life recently coming from seminary and being super proud and sitting back with every worship song and being like how many times are going to say jesus you know all this stuff versus versus do I love theology or do I love Jesus, right? And, 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 and our songs should be theologically sound, right? If you've been at the transit for more than a month or two, you know that we're people of the word and people of theology. Doctrine is so important. But we're a people also who love God. And so when we worship, we're not, we're worshiping God because we love him, okay? And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And nowhere in scripture do we get a get out of praise free card. And we see this in Psalm 150. The last psalm and 150 psalms ends ends this way. Praise the Lord! Exclamation point. Imperative. Praise the Lord. Where? Psalmists tell us where. How long? Where should we praise him? Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. We praise God because He alone is worthy of praise. There's no one else in the world who's worthy of praise. So we want to crack out our praise to God because he's the one who's worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And then verse three, how should we praise him? I don't know. (laughs) Praise him with the trumpet sound, right? Come on, let's go. Praise him with the lute and the harp. (laughs) Nobody's gonna be playing a lute up here. I don't know what that is. But anyways, (laughs) praise him with the tambourine and and what? And dance. And dance. And no I was going to be dancing up here. Okay, maybe. But but here's, here's what we see. Here's what we see. We see we see what praise looks like in God's word, right? It's multifaceted. But we see here that, and we're about to see here, that what's prescribed for the people of God to praise God, it gets a little rowdy. Keep reading. Praise him with strings and pipes. Watch this. Praise him with sounding cymbals. And, and, and here you go, the drummer today, David. Here you go. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Make a joyful noise. Sing to the Lord, for he alone is good. He alone is worthy. Let's make some noise, right? <laughs> Sacrifice of praise. It pleases God when we do that. And then, and then if anyone here thinks that we have a get out of pra- and, and praise has to flow from sincerity of heart. I'm, no one's going to force you, to, you know, to sing praise this morning. But we see in verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And the very last three words in English, not in the Hebrew, in the Psalms is this. Praise the Lord. 150 Psalms. Last one. Praise the Lord. People of God. Praise the Lord. Pray him in his sanctuary. Pray in his heavens. He's worthy of praise and praise him with all of these instruments basically being make a joyful noise because our God is great and he is a God of love. And so simple summary of Psalm 150 is this, is that everything that has breath now exists to praise God with everything you got. Everything that has breath, praise God. This is the reason for breath in your lungs is to praise the one who put that breath there.